are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two completely opposite longtime friends. I'm Carrie, who brings the practical buzzkill vibe to this partnership. And I'm Amy, the upbeat, social, and gullible one. Each week, we have book nerd conversations with each other and sometimes a special guest. We not only talk about what we're reading, but also book-adjacent topics such as stuff we've had to Google while reading, new titles on our TBR lists, books we've DNF'd and why, film adaptations that we've seen, and bookish news. At the end of our shows, you'll have new books to put on your nightstand and a laugh or two along the way. We are recording this on January 7th, 2023, and this is the first episode of our season eight. So if you have been a listener to Perks of Being a Book Lover for a while, things might sound a little different to you. We've, we have a new theme song, and this is our first episode of us trying out a new format. Because we were tired. <laughs> Yeah, we've been doing this podcast for almost four years. And while we have loved doing it, you know, after you do anything for a certain amount of time, it starts to get tedious or repetitive. And so we wanted to shake things up a little bit. We wanted to start anew. So that starts with our new theme music, which is a little clappy and a little snappy and a <laughs> and the way we're going to set it up. So in the past, almost every episode has been an interview with a special guest. We're still going to do those interviews, but only every other episode. Or so. Or so. We're giving ourselves the right to be flexible. Right. (laughs) And then on the other episodes, it's just going to be Carrie and I talking about book stuff. Like we mentioned in our openers. If you're new to the show, we hope that you enjoy it. For uh, longtime listeners, we hope you'll like it too. Um, Give us some feedback and let us know. Especially if it's positive. Yeah, if it's negative, keep it to yourself. But otherwise, (laughs) no, just kidding. (laughs) I'm not kidding at all. So, Carrie, what have you been up to? Uh, Well, I've been up to stuff with with you. Mm. (laughs) We went. That's true. We went to see uh, Kentucky Shakespeare. They did a performance of Kate Hamill's adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, and it was hilarious. I mean, laugh out loud funny. It was. It was really funny. I was trying to explain to Dean, but, you know, t- explaining it doesn't convey just how funny it was. It it was awesome. It was. So that was good. But other than that, um, what have I been doing? Kind of getting back into the, you know, real life after the holidays and the routine and all that good stuff. So I'm not quite ready for prom time, but it doesn't care. It's not working on your time schedule. Mm-mm. I was flying solo this week. My husband and our middle child went on a trip out west. They flew into Las Vegas and then drove to Zion National Park in Utah. Normally, the weather's supposed to be in the 50s. It snowed while they were there. So their visibility wasn't great. And the hiking they were expecting to do wasn't great, although they did do a little bit of it. And they didn't tell me how dangerous and slippery it was until after they were already done. Thank God. Uh, But they sent me back beautiful pictures. But the funny thing I thought was that... And I wondered about this. The the little lodge that they stayed outside of Zion National Park. I mean, it's a tiny little town there. I think it might be called Springfield. Tiny little town. But there was a lodge that they stayed in called Bumbleberry Lodge. And when I think of Bumbleberry, I think of this book I used to read my kids and 
when they were tiny about this bear named Bumbleberry. Hmm. Anyway, they said, yeah, did you know that Bumbleberry is the state berry of Utah? I said, really? Because I was thinking to myself, is Bumbleberry real? It's not. It's an imaginary berry, but it is still the state (laughs) berry of Utah. Isn't that funny? That is funny. That's weird. I had to tell you about it. That's I thought, my, I that's thought, my fun fact of the week. Well, I thought this was going to be something where, where they got you to believe something and had you going and then, you know. Thus my gullible right, reputation. Right, right, right. No, this this was real. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. In case, you know, you're ever on Jeopardy and. And it ask. comes up. So, so what bookish stuff has been on your mind or going on? This week? Well, I actually saw on my social media uh, with several bookstores that I follow and also an article uh, online about James Patterson, the author of numerous, numerous thrillers and children's books and different things. He has a, a $1 million grant program for independent bookstores. I think he started it in 2014. And this year, this past holiday season, he doled out the third set of grants to bookstores. And it came to my attention because a bookstore that I follow here in Kentucky put on their social media how excited they were. They're a fairly new bookstore. They've only been around it like a year and a half. How excited they were to get this grant. Red Spotted Newt. Okay. But red is spelled R-E-A-D. Okay. And they are a bookstore in a hazard Kentucky, which is a part of Kentucky that sometimes doesn't have a lot of bookstores. I was so I looked into it a little bit to see like, well, what do people have to do to get this? And they must have a children's book section. That was a big deal for him. And all grants are personally funded by him, not by like, you know, he's not going halvesies with his publisher or anything like that. It's all his own personal money. And bookstores can get between $2,000 and $15,000. Oh, wow. Grant. Now, I think they they have to fill out this application right. and say what they're going to do with the money. And I don't know if this is still true, but back when he was doing the, the first go round of these grants, he read each of these applications personally, contacted the bookstore personally to talk to them one on one. Like, you know, he didn't have like a an assistant doing it. It was him doing it. But I went and looked at the list of the bookstores who received it this past holiday season in December. And like almost all of the bookstores that we've interviewed for the show are oh, on there. Oh, that's cool. Carmichael's Bookstore, Blue Marble Books up near Cincinnati, Coffee Tree Books in Moorhead, Kentucky, Cupboard Maker Books in Pennsylvania, Bethany Beach Books in Delaware, who we just interviewed like a month ago. Anyway, I say thank you, James Patterson, for helping out independent bookstores. And actually... Thank you to all the people who have read James Patterson books and bought his books, because if those people hadn't done it, then James Patterson wouldn't have all that money to give to bookstores. So absolutely. Kudos to readers and to James Patterson. Hopefully he'll keep on doing that. Yeah. Very cool. What about you? Do you have any uh, things that have caught your eye this week? Yeah, actually, well, my dad reads Smithsonian Magazine. And when we went over on New Year's Day, he he sort of threw it at me across the room. He's like, here, I'm done with it. So, and I'll sort of browse through the magazine. Well, I saw on the title, it said something about Dracula. And I was like, oh, okay, what's, you know, I'm intrigued now. The article was called Invisible Evidence by Joe Marchant. And and this is from the Smithsonian, volume 53, number six, if you're a total book nerd and, and want to dive down this rabbit hole. But uh, <laughs> so, okay, so this article, it was about Vlad the Impaler, okay? So it was looking at uh, a letter 
that he had written. Okay, so obviously Vlad the Impaler was not a writer, but he inspired the a lot of the vampire stories. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Okay, so that that's kind of what hooked me, right? Well, I started reading this article, and it was about so when we touch anything, you know, whether it's a coffee cup or whether it's a piece of paper or a piece of clothing, we leave our proteins on that item. And so up until recently, when historians wanted to learn more about the proteins that are on these historical items, part of the item would have to be destroyed in order for them to get the proteins off and be able to study them. So this article talked about these three researchers, Gleb Zilberstein, Svetlana Gilberstein, and Pier Giorgio Rigetti. So these researchers have come up with some unique ways to get proteins off items without harming the items in any way. And through their research, they've sort of discovered things about the proteins and the people who left their proteins on items. And so this is where we get into the book stuff. So they use their techniques and they found tuberculosis proteins in a letter by George Orwell. And so TB is what killed him, but they have definitive proof now that, okay, that is what killed him. Well, Anton Chekhov allegedly died of tuberculosis as well. But when they examined his proteins that were on a shirt, they found a marker that shows he may have actually, his immediate cause of death might have actually been a stroke and not tuberculosis. So I, I thought it was really fascinating, you know, this this idea that we could maybe discover things about, you know, writers, of course, but but any historical person from the proteins that they leave on their stuff. I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but you hear about people leaving their DNA, but mm-hmm. this is not exactly the same thing. This is not people leaving their DNA, per se, is it? Like... When people left DNA on things, it's like split. Yes, yes. So the article did talk about one of the, I guess, concerns, right, is this, is that if there's a piece of paper, say, like, uh, and, and there was one Russian author that this article talked about. I do not remember his name. But it found traces of a drug on some papers. And so... Some biographers of of this particular Russian author were like, okay, well, how do you know definitively? Because if it's a historical document from, you know, 50, 60, 100, 1,000 years ago, how do you, you don't know how many hands have touched that and have left their proteins. So, you know, I I think it's intriguing and it could maybe, uh, like in the case of George Orwell, right? They felt pretty confident that he died of tuberculosis and they found tuberculosis in the, you know, that was a marker in the protein. So it can kind of confirm, but you might not want to use it. You you can't definitively say because if it's a piece of paper, how many hands have touched it before the historians and they're wearing their white gloves and only right. looking at it in a sterile environment. It's interesting, but it's also a little freaky in a way. I mean, I think about um the Golden State Killer and I think that, that was the first uh, like serial killer they caught because of the like the twenty three and Me tests, mm-hmm. and your DNA. Even if they don't have your particular DNA, they can track it back to you. And this is just like another one of those things. Yeah. It makes you think, 
how much can people know about you just by what you touch what you touch it's really cool but also a little freaky to me well the the thought i had about it which is actually so much of what we do now is not on paper we type it we text it we email it and so i'm wondering if you know in the future will that hinder sort of historian's ability to i guess discover things because we're not a paper society you know i mean we still wear clothes and but it's it's much much less than it was so i I guess that's one of the questions that that it made me think about but i i like biology and this was a nice blend of of sort of biology and literature all together so i found it kind of fascinating cool yeah all right So this week, we decided, or at least I decided, I think Carrie had a little bit of a different idea. We decided to talk a little bit about winter books. So we're sort of past, you know, the holiday time where you might be reading holiday-themed books. But, you know, I'm a seasonal reader. I still like reading all these books that are set with snow and cold and things like that. So if you're like me, in winter, you like to also read books that feel wintry and makes you want to snuggle down under a blanket with a cup of coffee. And I am drinking a cup of coffee right now. That sort of immerse you in the season. Yes. I love a book. I love a book that immerses. (laughs) After like your October spooky reads, I think winter reads might be another favorite of mine. So I wanted to start out by talking about Scandi Noir. Scandi Noir. Scandinavian Noir, Nordic Noir however you want to say it. So these books that I'm going to talk about aren't necessarily cozy. Some of them are, but they're not necessarily cozy winter books. If you live, They're like murderous. They're like murderous. <laughs> murderous Which might also books. be what you feel like you want to do in winter. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I am going crazy. I need to kill somebody. So I think a lot of people who, uh, who read Scandinavian noir have probably heard of an author named... Uh, Jo Nespo, who is a Norwegian mystery writer, and I have tried his. They're a little too graphic and gory for me, but I have found a author that I really enjoy named Ragnar Jonasson, who's an Icelandic author. And I talked about one of his books, I think, last winter. Uh, I started out with a book called The Mist, which is actually set during Christmas. That one was sort of a... um, it was a mystery thriller where uh, a couple had died um, in a very remote part of Iceland. And and then, you know, this female police detective from Reykjavik comes in and helps solve the case. I tried another one uh, a few weeks ago that I enjoyed called Snowblind. And it actually was Ragnar's very first novel. And it features a like a very young policeman named Ari Thor. And he was a Does cinnamon- he have a hammer? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He should with a name like that, right? <laughs> he was a seminary student and then decided to turn to police work. He's just graduated from police academy and he takes a job in the one of the northernmost towns of Iceland, which also happens to be where the author's grandparents lived. And it was a town I'd never heard of. And he really described this, the place and how isolating it can feel in the wintertime so well. And it's a small town. But uh, Ragnar Jonasson is a Agatha Christie lover. 
And in fact, I think that he translated all of Agatha Christie's books into Icelandic. Hmm. Um, so it definitely had, it had some Agatha Christie feels to it. I wouldn't say they're cozy necessarily. <laughs> they're not cozy mysteries, but. But you will be cozy when you're in your blankets. Yes. And it's cold out and you're reading this book about Iceland. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now he has several series going on and he has some standalone thrillers as well. But if you want to try a different mystery writer, I'd give Ragnar Jonasson a try. Now, you're not totally on board with this whole winter thing. Okay, so I am a contrary person. <laughs> Basically, whatever somebody says, let's do that, I'm like, nah, I don't want to so do I that. So I say, let's talk about winter winter books. And you're like, yeah, I think I'm going to talk about hot books instead. <laughs> is that what you're doing? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Because th- the thing is, while there are some people who love a cozy, you know, like they, they want to immerse themselves in the season – there are other people who who hate winter. They hate the gray. They hate the cold. And all they want to do is not think about winter. So, so here's some suggestions for if you don't want to read a wintry book. So one of them is Who is Vera Kelly by Rosalie Connect. Necht? Connect? K-N-E-C-H-T. So... This book, I listened to it as an audiobook. Most of the book is set in hot, sticky Argentina <laughs> in the 1960s. And Vera Kelly is a, a young woman, and she has been recruited by the CIA to wiretap a politician. And she sees the government begin to fall apart. And it's it's kind of a, a thriller suspense about what she has to do to get out of the country in order to survive. So, you know, it was, it was pretty interesting, but it was one of the books that, you know, when I was like, I'm going to be contrary and think of some hot books set in warmer climes, that one came to mind. And it actually, for me at least, after I listened to it, I had to do a little bit. It, it talks about, and I remember this from when I was a kid. Do you remember there was uh, issues with the Falkland Islands? Do you remember yes. that when you were a kid? And I didn't yeah. know, you know, I was a kid. I didn't know anything about it. Well, at the end of this book, it ends up talking about the Falkland Islands. And so then I had to Google some things to find out, like, okay, what what was that about when I was a kid? So I felt like, you know, any book that I sort of have to end up Googling things to learn more about is, is a win as far as I'm concerned. I read that one earlier this year, and there's several in the series. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Yeah. The other thing that's nice about it is there's some LGBTQ uh, representation mm-hmm. in it. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah. And it, they did talk a lot about it being... Hot, yes, and sticky, mm-hmm. and fans going yeah. and windows open, and yeah. Okay, I'm taking it back here. Okay, okay. taking it back, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mention two historical fiction. Okay, titles. All right, that are all all up in the winter vibes. Okay, first one, and I you've read this one, I know, is called Burial Rites by Hannah Kent. Oh uh, yeah, I was actually thinking of that when you were. Yeah. When you were talking Iceland. This is another Iceland book. I promise not all these books are going to be about Iceland. This one just happens to be. I really enjoyed this one. But it is a historical fiction novel set in the 1800s. I can't remember exactly when in the 1800s. But it is about the true story of the last person who was executed ever in Iceland, who also happened to be a woman, and her story. It, you learn a lot about what it was like to live in a place like Iceland. At that time, like the kinds of houses that they they had to to build and how difficult it seemed to just even to be like to travel around. I remember that being one of my favorite books of that year. 
Yeah, I did enjoy that book. That was a good one. Yeah, and I you're not that. always a historical fiction fan. No, but but that was that was different enough that that I was like, I tend to like you know historical fiction when it's more obscure mm-hmm. topics. Mm-hmm. So uh, I felt like that one fit the bill yeah. for me. The second one is a YA historical fiction called Salt to the Sea by Ruta Cepetis. And this is the story it's set in, in January 30th, 1945, when the Russians are starting to invade parts of, of Germany at the end of the war. And there is a mass exodus of people from parts of Poland and Germany. It focuses on four characters. There's two females and two males, and they are trying to flee with everyone else. All of their stories sort of interconnect. But what it's based on is the true story of this ship, the sinking of the Wilhelm Gustloff, which was a German cruise liner that they overfilled, and they were trying to get refugees back, but it was sunk by a Soviet submarine. Mm. They were trying to cross the Baltic Sea. Uh. So it's kind of a bleak so it's a, story. I was going to say, it's a feel-good, It's right? not a feel-good. It'd be perfect for you, Carrie. It is not a feel-good book. But when you're already feeling depressed in winter, yeah, here's a thing about how it could be worse. That's what this is about. (laughs) Same with a woman being executed. Uh, But I have read almost all of Ruta Sepetis' books, and this one is my favorite. And so, um, again, the name of that Salt to the Sea by Ruta Sepetis. And even though it's a YA, it doesn't necessarily feel like a YA. All right. Are you ready for? I'm ready for hot and sweaty. Hot and sweaty. Well, okay. So this one I read not too long ago because I wanted to, you know, we've talked to so many people who, who had Enid Blyton as, as their, you know, kind of their childhood author favorite. Um, Mainly, mainly European. Right. Right. So, so this story, uh, one of the books, and there's, there's a whole series of these, but the one I read was called The Island of Adventure. And it's about four children who get into mischief during the summer holidays in Cornwall, England. So this is not the type of story that is going to be like, you know, the South in the U.S. And it's hot and sweaty and overbearing. It's going to be, you know, a really nice, lovely Cornwall summer. So they learn how to sail uh, this small boat and they go and explore this nearby island. I think of it for an adult as being sort of a nice palate cleanser book. It was quick. It was fun. A a light little romp, nothing too heavy, not too fluffy, just a a good book like that. Okay. So now I'm going to move to penguins. (laughs) You know, let's move to like a winter animal. And I have two books about penguins uh, that I really enjoyed. The first is kind of a feel-good, funny book called How the Penguins Save Veronica by Hazel Pryor. And if you are a person who likes multi-generational stories where you have sort of an older person who has a relationship with a with a younger person, this is a great book. It is about a woman who's kind of curmudgeonly, think of like a Uva, like a man called Uva kind of character who uh, sees on, I don't know, something like National Geographic TV about the plight of the penguins. And she has a lot of money, but she doesn't have any family to speak of to leave it to. So she decides that she wants to leave it for penguin research. But being the kind of person she is, she wants to come see what these places are doing that she's thinking about donating the money to before she agrees to donate the money. 
and they tell her not to come <laughs> because it's Antarctica. Yeah. But she must do it anyway. So she comes down to Antarctica and she's kind of a thorn in their side. But, you know, as things go, she and the people at the lab get to know each other better. She gets to help participate in the research and she learns some things about herself and maybe some long lost family members along the way. Anyway, if you're looking for a more feel good book, I would recommend How the Penguin Saved Veronica. The other one is for those nonfiction readers out there. Carrie, you've read this one too. A Polar Affair, Antarctic's Forgotten Hero and the Secret Love Lives of Penguins by Lloyd Spencer Davis. So if you're interested about some of those early explorations of Antarctica back in the early 20th century, uh, this is an interesting one. It is about the biologist who was on one of those fatal trips and the research that he was doing on penguins. And they tie it into the sexual mores at the time, the Victorian sexual mores. And some of the things that he found were that penguins were super horny <laughs> and a little bit freaky mm. and kinky. But he couldn't actually report any of that back to Great Britain because people wouldn't have believed it or wouldn't have accepted that. Mm -hmm. So it's about that, but it's also a true adventure story about what happened while they were, you know, in Antarctica trying to get to the South Pole and get their flag in there before anybody else. I was a, that was a good book. And led me, I mean, I ended up watching like a whole series on YouTube or something about living in Antarctica and the scientists that live there, you know, those certain months, I guess the summer in Antarctica when they can live down there. It was pretty fascinating, I thought. Yeah, that was a good book. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got a couple, you know, a couple quick ones to mention for the heat, right? The, the non wintry. The City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty, set in 18th century Cairo, and the protagonist, Nari, and a djinn warrior have to travel across the desert to find a magical city. So you get plenty of sand in that book. If it's snowing outside and you think how terrible this is that it's snowing or icy or cold, you could read Jesmyn Ward's Salvage the Bones, which is set in Mississippi in a town called Bois Sauvage, and there's a hurricane getting ready to hit. So it is, like Argentina, sticky and humid and, you know, there's a hurricane coming. So there's going to rain. There's not going to be snow or ice, but there's going to be a lot of rain. And then Alas Babylon by... Ooh, that one is a feel-good. Yep, I got all the (laughs) feel-goods. Got all the feel-goods by Pat Frank. That is set in Florida after some kind of nuclear bomb has gone off and everybody's sort of disconnected from everybody else. There's no electricity. There's no water. There's nothing. But they're in Florida and they're having to learn how to adjust and carry on and hopefully make contact with other people in the state. So, um, yeah, those are some, uh, the last two anyway, feel good books, good times, hurricanes and nuclear Holocaust. So anyway, but you will not be thinking about snow or how cold it is. If you read those. <laughs> Another category I have for these cozy winter reads, sometimes not so cozy are the ones that are folktale based or are 
um, magical in some way. And so I, I have several of these on my list. Probably my favorite is The Snow Child by Eowyn Ivy. And this one is about a couple who is from Pennsylvania. They homestead over to Alaska. Um, and this is in the, I believe in the early 20th century, they are childless and they are uh, trying to make a home here in Alaska. Their first winter there, they see a snow man, snow person, and they believe that it comes to life and it kind of becomes their child. And so that one is full of magical realism. I love that one. And then if you want uh, a much more fantasy, there's one called The Raven and the Reindeer by T. Kingfisher. And this one is a retelling of the fairy tale about the Snow Queen. Uh, and so that's a, a fun one. And another one that I'm just going to mention briefly. You can't, you you with books is like me with a bag of Doritos. Like, I can't do just one. You can't just do one or two. You just You just keep going. I know, I know. The the last one is a sort of a take on the Nutcracker. It's not really Christmas themed, but it takes a ballet dancer in the in Victorian time, and her parents don't want her to be a ballet dancer. Uh, they want her to marry, uh, you know, uh, a man who's in good standing, and she kind of has this experience where she slips into the world of the Nutcracker. But this world is like snowy, but it's also everything is sort of made of confections and candy. And it's a very, like, if you were imagining it, everything would be like in pastels and glittery. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Probably not a book for you. But if you are a person who likes some fantasy and you sort of want a different take on the Nutcracker, especially Clara and the... Um, the Nutcracker, who's a soldier, because there, there's a bit of a love story in here, then you might want to try. I don't think I ever said the name of the book. Midnight in Everwood by Maria Kuznar. Sounds like it's going to be, you know, I said there's a little bit of romance and everything is like sparkly, but there's like an evil king and there, you know, it has some, it has some dark spots. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has a dark underbelly, that book. Okay. So uh, an, another book that I'm going to mention, uh, this is actually a book that I read when I was a kid and I read it over and over and over and over again. It's Tiger Eyes by Judy Bloom. Did you ever hmm. read that one? I think so, but I don't remember anything about it. Well, I think the reason it stood out for me partly is because it is set in New Mexico. Uh, so a girl and her mom and her brother and her dad live, I think they live on the East coast. And then her dad is shot and killed. He owned like a convenience store and he's shot and killed in a, in a robbery. And they move to New Mexico uh, to live with her aunt and uncle. And I remember, you know, she's, she goes out and she goes hiking, you know, you think about the setting and, and that is a setting that has kind of always stuck with me. Because I, I mean, honestly, I've never, I still never been to New Mexico, but I've been out West now and can kind of imagine being there. Now it does get cold out there. It it can be wintry, but this setting, it was, it was the summer, you know, and then she was hiking and meets a young man and it's kind of figuring out, you know, who she is and she doesn't get along with her uncle. And um, so it's a little bit of a coming of age story. So I would recommend that one. 
Okay, well, I'm going to finish up with two mysteries. Not the kind of mysteries I was talking about before with, like, the Scandinavian noir. These are more like, well, the first one is a, more of like a thriller. It's called The Hunting Party by Lucy Foley. This is set New Year's Eve at a Scottish hunting lodge. And there's a group of um, friends who go to a different place every New Year's Eve to celebrate. And this year they're at the, Sc the Scottish hunting lodge and there's a huge blizzard that comes in and there's a murder, but we don't know who's murdered. <laughs> and so you're kind of working your way backwards. And Lucy Foley has had two subsequent novels come out that have been very popular, but I don't think as many people have read this one. And I really enjoyed it. The second one is also a mystery. I would call it more of a literary mystery, though. This one's called Bell Weather Rhapsody by Kate Reculia. This is set. At, it's a bunch of high school students who go to like a like a music festival at this hotel in upstate New York. And then they're snowed in another mm -hmm. like blizzard. They're snowed in and there's some weird things happening and some murders and it's sort of, it's, you know, it's that sort of Agatha Christie closed room mystery type of thing because everyone is stuck in mm -hmm. this hotel. That one was really good, too. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, plenty of options, whether you want to get under the covers and dream about more coldness or whether you want to say, screw that cold and I want to imagine myself elsewhere. So. Well, let's take just a short break. Okay. I need more coffee. All right. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. Okay, we are back. And before we get to talking about what we've been currently reading, Carrie, we talk about this in private a lot of times, but, you know, whenever you read books... Especially maybe if you're if you're doing it on an e-reader, there's things that you've you come across and you're like, I gotta look that up. What what is that stuff we googled? <laughs> stuff we googled this week. So Carrie, what is some stuff that you googled this week? Well, I I should say we kind of stole this idea from a past guest. So she is a uh, a local high school English teacher, and she and I are friends on Facebook. And she started a blog that is called I Googled. You know, we were inspired by, or we, we borrowed totally this idea. It. We ah! totally stole it. <laughs> but the thing is, that's I mean, that's what authors do. They steal ideas for stories. I mean. Here's the thing. You give attribution. Writers do okay. it all the time. All right. And, and, and so she was on, uh, I don't remember what season it was, but it was episode 38, Emily Kolb. Her name has changed. So she's listed as Emily McKeon. But it was, if anybody's curious to hear that episode, it's episode 38. I don't remember what season that was. So, But I loved her idea of things that you Google because we do Google such weird things sometimes and so we have adapted it a little bit to our own uses and we talk about the things that we google while we read the idea because i always end up you know with my reading i, I i'm I hers still, is more just her life general right it's, general yes. stuff that comes up in everyday life so recently and, and it relates to the book that i'm going to talk about shortly uh, the book is called octavian nothing i'll talk about that in a few minutes but i ended up googling a lot of vocabulary related to this book. And usually I think I'm, you know, I mean, I've got a pretty decent vocabulary, 
But there were a lot of words that I was having to look up. So some of them, uh, separation, not separation, separation. Like S-U-P-P-U-R-A-T-I-O-N. What's that mean? I don't know. I got to Google it again. Oh. It didn't stick. <laughs> separation. Uh, oh, uh, pus, because smallpox. Oh. And so separation would be the pus coming out of... Oh, gross. Gross, yeah. Uh, Prunella, which was a a type of flower, like F-L-O-W-E-R, that they made things from. Ferrule, which is actually like the old-time rulers that they would hit your hands with. Uh, Celerity, coffles, chirurgical. I mean, like... Were you reading this on an e-reader? I was reading it on an e-reader. So I was able... Yes. Okay, so let me ask you this. If you had been reading the physical book, a copy of the book, Mm -hmm. would you have... Would you have Googled all those words? Probably. It would have bothered me. I wish, though, that my brain was better able to remember what a lot of them mean. You know, because... Now, what I did do is I highlighted all of them and sent myself a copy of my notes. Did you know you could do that? No. Yeah, you can do that. So if you have an e-reader... Now... You know, maybe not every e-reader, but on the one I use, if you highlight things or make notes, you can export those notes and it'll send it to your email. I did not know Mm -hmm. that. I knew that you could send them to Goodreads. Yeah. No, this will email it to you. So, you know, if I was really motivated. So right now I'm looking at my list of a lot of the words that I highlighted. And then there's also, like, there were some really great quotes from the book that I highlighted as well. But you are able to do that. So if you're a complete, <laughs> complete nerd, and, um, and and this was a library book. So I had borrowed it, and those notes are not going to stay there forever. So it's a good idea to export them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad for that tip. Because when I borrow a book from the library and I highlight things, I'm always like, well, I'm highlighting this, but mm-hmm. as soon as I'm done and I return to the library, I'm going to l- lose all those highlights. Yeah, just hit at the bottom. If you go to highlights mm-hmm. and at the bottom, it should show you and you can scroll through and see all your highlights. And then at the bottom, it should say export notes. And if you hit export notes, it will send it to your email as long as you have an email awesome. associated with your account. But the other thing about this book, so this book is set during the American Revolution and the book brings up an idea that I had never, I had never really been taught. So when I was in school and was taught about the American Revolution and the reasons why the colonists wanted their freedom, right, from England, the way I was taught is that it was mostly taxation. You know, there was the Stamp Act and the Sugar Act and the Intolerable Acts. And so they were tired of being uh, taxed without representation, right? But apparently slavery played a bigger role than what we talk about in terms of why the colonists didn't want England to have control over them anymore. So what I learned from Googling, I just kind of researched how did slavery impact the American Revolution. And I heard about this case called the Somerset case of 1772. And apparently this was a case in England. And this case made the colonists fearful that they would have to give up their slaves. Hmm. And they weren't about to have that. And so that was part of the motivation for them wanting to be separate from England so that England couldn't tell them that they had to get rid of their slaves. 
Huh. And I had never, I mean, you know, I'm 49 years old. I had never learned anything about that. And then from reading about that, that actually led me to add a book to my TBR called Slave Nation, How Slavery United the Colonies and Sparked the American Revolution by Alfred W. Bloomrosen and Ruth G. Bloomrosen. So that's a book that I'm now added because I feel like, oh, that was something that was never talked about. Or if it was talked about, not much because I have zero recollection hmm. of that. No, I've never heard so. of that. All right. Well, what did you what did you Google? Uh, I am feeling kind of inferior <laughs> in my stuff that I Googled. But every Saturday we have on our social media accounts, Five Star Saturday, where we ask a fellow book lover to tell us about a book that they think should go on our virtual bookshelf that we have on our website where we sort of, air quotes, shelve these books. And uh, this week, we had a recommendation from someone from the Netherlands. And so as I was making up the little uh, graphic to put on there, I thought, because I always put on there where the person is from. And I thought, is it Netherlands? Or is it the Netherlands? Like, how do you list it? (laughs) So I googled it. And I have the answer in case you ever wanted to know. It's always the Netherlands. Hmm. Not always a capital the, though. And this is in English. And I also found out, did you ever ever get confused about, like, well, who's Holland? And and what's the Netherlands? And, like, how are they related? So Holland is not really a country anymore. But Holland is part of the Netherlands. But the Netherlands has a couple other areas added to it. So if you ever wondered, which I always did, because I thought, who are the Dutch? And where's Holland? And what is, I mean, like, you know, what are the, how are all these things connected? I don't know. There's the answer. Hmm. The other thing that I Googled, yours took up a lot of time, so I can mention two in the amount of time. So I got the list of Amazon First Reads books the other day I was looking it up. So if you're an Amazon Prime member... If you put into the search bar first reads every month, they have like seven or eight different books that are new releases for their publishing companies. They have several different imprints and you can download one for free. And so I like to get them every month. I didn't ever used to download them. And then we've had a few guests who have had books on the Amazon first reads. And I've been repeatedly impressed by the quality of them. And one of the books This month is called The Fires, and I'm not even going to attempt to say the author's name because, again, we're back to Iceland. It's an an Icelandic author, and she has a lot of consonants consonants and vowels in a row. What's it called? The Fires. The Fires. Let's see. I got to see this now. And so um, it's from the Amazon Crossing imprint, which is their imprint of books and translation from other countries. You know, with Amazon, they have this little button that says, look inside. And so you can read like a sample of the book, which I was doing. And in this book, it's about a volcanologist. And it's sort of a thriller, you know, about a, a big volcano eruption. And this volcanologist is female, and she has a child. And in the sample that I read, she was talking about telling her child that she had to go feed her Daegu. And I thought, what the heck is a Daegu? Because I personally have a, a daughter who, when she was growing up, we had just about every kind of little animal you could have. We had guinea pigs. We had hamsters. We had mice. We had cats. We have had dogs. We've had 
uh, we've had newts. We've had all kinds of things. We had chinchillas. I can totally say her name. Okay, say her name. Sigridur Hagelin Bjorn's daughter. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's that's the name of the author. So I had to look up what a daegu was, and a daegu looks a little bit like a cross between a hamster and a mouse, but it's got its tail is furry and it kind of spreads out at the end. What are they native to? Um, I think Argentina and Chile. Huh. And they're very social animals, so you shouldn't have one by itself. Look at that, how that connects. A book set in Iceland related to the hot of Argentina. Oh, I feel like this is kismet. This is just... (laughs) It's coming around full circle. It's coming full circle. Anyway, if you ever want to know another little rodent creature that your child could ask you for, there's Degus. Very cool. I love Icelandic names. Do you? Do you know what Bjorn's daughter means? No. It means the daughter of Bjorn. And males will be like, so if she has a brother, her brother's last name is Bjornsson. Oh, I wondered about that. Yes. So people in the same family will have different last names. I saw that. Yeah. Is that the same with other Nordic countries? I do not know. Hmm. I do not know. Something to Google for next time. Yes, there you go. There you go. Okay, Carrie, I think it's time that we need to talk about what we're reading. Let's take, before we start talking about what we're reading, let's take another break, probably because I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Last night, I, we, you and I saw each other because we went to dinner and then we went to the play and you were all excited because you got to pick a new book to read and it was not the same book that you decided to read when you went to bed. Apparently, I am a little bit of a mood reader. Because See, what I was in go. the mood for at dinner, I felt really compelled. Like, I need to pick this. I need to pick Yeah, the I don't book. know why you decided you needed to pick it during dinner. I don't but know. you did. I did. Yeah. Okay. Now, what did you just finish? Well, so I kind of mentioned it when I was talking about what I Googled. The, the book that I'm going to talk about, again, it's got a much longer title than what I said earlier. Uh, but I didn't want to say too much. The book is called Octavian Nothing, The Pox Party, The Astonishing Life of Octavian Nothing, Traitor to the Nation, Number One. There is a second book that I will Who's the author? The author is M.T. Anderson. And I have read and enjoyed a couple M.T. Anderson books. Each one has been very, very different. I mean, just like completely different from each other. One I read was called Feed, and it was about um, like uh, young people who have almost like uh, computers in their heads. Uh, Elon Musk would love it, I think, if he hasn't read it. And another book I've read by M.T. Anderson is called The Assassination of Brangwen Spurge, which is is sort of like a, a medieval-type fantasy. It's very strange. I mean, li- literally every book I've read by him, completely different. So I, I sort of love that there's so much variety in what M.T. Anderson writes. But this story, so the protagonist in this story is Octavian Gitney. He's a young boy whose teenage mother was an African princess who was enslaved and brought to the U.S., which is where she gave birth to Octavian. She ended up living in a home with a group of white men, and these white men were scientists and philosophers who have essentially used Octavian as a research subject. But it's not like the research, like what you would think of 
now. So what they did is they educated him in Greek and Latin. They taught him math and they trained him to become a master of the violin. So he's extremely well-educated, extremely bright. It's unclear at first why they're doing this, but eventually the story explains it. What happens is that money becomes scarce because the American Revolution is starting to happen. And so funding, people aren't wanting to fund as much um, because they're starting the trade disputes between England and the colonists. So a new group of investors, I'll call them investors, sort of change the research parameters. And Octavian, who has spent his whole life up until, you know, age 14 or so, being educated and treated sort of like a prince, is now treated like a slave, because he is an African boy. So the book, you know, it's interesting, it's odd. But again, it made me realize what I had mentioned earlier, I was not aware how much of an impact slavery had on the reasons for the American Revolution. So I felt like it was a very powerful book and an educational book in that respect. But it also seemed to me, I mean, slavery, I have read books about slavery, and they're always horribly cruel. But I feel like in some ways, this was even more cruel, because he had experienced being educated, being treated with respect, being treated as a human being, and then to be treated as as nothing. So I felt like it was especially cruel, but I'm really glad I read it, and I would highly recommend it to other. I think other. it won some awards, it, didn't it? Uh, yeah, I, th- I want to say um, it won the National Book Award. It was about slavery, about the American Revolution, but very different from other books that I've read. So I recommend it. Okay. What have you been reading? Well, I'm kind of sticking with the uh, <laughs> the winter read <laughs> theme. And I read a book called Snow by John Banville. And this is a mystery. Well, it's a sort of an Agatha Christie-esque mystery, except for grittier. It was published in 2020. And John Banville has published many, many novels. But this one is a series about a detective called Sinjin Stratford. So it looks like it should be St. John, but it's pronounced Sinjin. If you've ever read Jane Eyre, <laughs> your English teacher hopefully has told you how yeah. it's pronounced. So Sinjin Stratford is a detective inspector with the Dublin Police Department, and he is sent to County Wexford, which is you know, to the south of Dublin to investigate this murder that's happened at the manor house that's the family home of the Osborne family. And what has happened is a the local priest has been murdered. He's ha- had his throat slit, but he's also had his genitalia cut off. Hmm. And, and he's a priest? And he's a priest. Hmm. I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so he's investigating this murder, but uh, this is set in the 1950s in Ireland. And the Catholic Church has a, quite a lot of power. And they're telling his his superiors and also Sinjin himself that really what happened was he fell down the stairs. 
<laughs> and this genitalia fell off. Well, they haven't released those. Oh. They haven't released those <laughs> notes to the public. Mm, mm. So you have this closed room, you know, murder as well because it's this. It was interesting to me because you do in England and Ireland and things like that. You hear about a lot of manor houses, and you think that they're these grand things. But especially like in the fifties, in those countries after the war. Their economies were not good. Mm -hmm. And so what these families, these manor houses kind of got shabby. And maybe it's this huge manor house, but they're only living like in a few rooms and the rest of them are are shut up. And so I never, I never really thought about that, but that's what's going on in this, Mm -hmm. in this story uh, as well. And, you know, obviously there's a conflict with um, the Catholic church and, and others. And it's set during a huge snowstorm. (sighs) Of course. I'm really surprised. I know. <laughs> it's you see a scene going here? I do. I do. But I really enjoyed this book a lot. I'd like to read more by this author. You know, I don't read a lot of police procedurals or or mysteries, but then after we, we interviewed a guest, which is our episode next week with Tracy Clark, who has written a first in a series of a new police procedural series. I have been all about them and wanting to read more. And I we need to do an episode about mysteries, Carrie, very soon. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's my book, Snow, by John Banville. And I think it won an Irish Times Award and another one. Cool. He's an Irish writer. Okay, so let's end with, you know, we're always talking about how long our TBRs are. Yeah. But we're always adding new books to our TBR. So I want to know what are some of the most recent books that you've added to your TBR? Uh, Hang on. Okay, well, I mentioned one that resulted from me reading right. Octavian Nothing, which was Slave Nation. Another one, I, you know, it's it's kind of like you add, well, at least I do. I add books to my TBR. And then when I look at them and go, why did I add this? I'm trying to think of what book I was reading that made me add this. I think I know. Slave Nation would be the most recent. The second most recent is the annotated classic fairy tales that was edited by Maria Tatar. And I suspect that I added this because I recently read Alex Harrow's A Spindle Splintered, Mm. which is a multiverse version of Sleeping Beauty. And I'm not sure, but I suspect that... I found this book after reading that. So what this book is about, it's leading experts in the field of folklore kind of talk about 26 different fairy tales. And so, you know, everything fairy tale related has been so Disney-fied that I am intrigued by what the stories really they're said super in the original violent an earlier episode that we did years ago i talked about i had a copy of the complete fairy tales that were not the disney five mm-hmm. i mean they were like the originals mm-hmm. and they are graphic graphic yeah. and yeah. intense yeah when my daughter was little she loved the disney fairy tales and so i'm very familiar with those and they're nice but it, as a reader I'm more interested in okay what were the what were the original stories like and I like the idea that this is you don't just get the story but you get the background and the history and so that sort of uh, appeases the real nerd actually I'm all nerd <laughs> there's no just part nerd part of me it's all nerd so anyway what what have you added the most recent book is a book called Excellent Women by Barbara 
Pym. I think that's how you say her name. It's P-Y-M. Mm-hmm. And she is a British author who published a lot of books, I think, in the 50s and 60s. And I came across this book. I get a lot of, I don't know, different book services sending me lists of books maybe I want to read. And I sometimes I look at them. This was one that popped up and it caught my attention because it said it was a book about manners but set in the 1950s. And we just saw Pride and Prejudice, which is also a story about manners. And this is about a spinster woman who becomes very interested in her neighbors. And I don't know, it just sounded just sounded interesting to me. Uh, another one is The Dead Romantics by Ashley Poston. I put this on my list because because of the thing that we do every Saturday with the five-star reads. And last week, our book lover recommended The Dead Romantics, and it is a rom-com with ghosts. And I like a good oh, rom-com yeah. every now and then. I could even stand a rom-com. With I mean, ghosts? not not that I can't stand rom-coms. That's not the case. I just read one about a minotaur. But they have to have, you know, like, if I'm going to read one, I want it to be unique. Yeah. And with ghosts would definitely fit the bill yeah. for that. Yeah. So that one sounded good. And then this last one. It's called the brain. It's called Brain Eater Jones by Stephen <laughs> Kozanuski. Sorry, Stephen, if I said your name wrong. Anyway, this book just sounded so interesting to me. It's about a man who is killed, and he wakes up, and he's now a zombie, and he <laughs> wants to know who killed him. So he's now an undead private eye. A severed head is his partner, and he's going to find out who murdered him and it's zombie noir. So I think it is set during <laughs> prohibition. I think he just liked to read stuff that has noir at the noir, end. Noir, <laughs> my new favorite word, noir. Anyway, it reminded me, the premise sounded a little bit in some ways like, um, what's that show? The walking dead. No, 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 no. The one with Drew Barrymore. The, oh, what? Santa Clarita diet. Santa Clarita diet. That's kind of zombie noir. I mean, the, she's a zombie and, and but that was well, she's funny. undead, she's not really a zombie. She, okay, she's undead. Well, you know, I mean, a uh, zombie, fine line. Fine yeah, line. but a zombie is not able to like work a job. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there is a difference. Okay, a difference. Anyway, it sounded pretty cool. So, those are the last three books I put on my TBR. Cool, all within the last two days. This is how my <laughs> TBR gets so big. What, what's your number now? Oh, lord, uh, let me see. 947. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 947. But, you know, it doesn't bother me. Well, Carrie, this was our debut new... It was. It's yeah. our trial balloon. We'll yeah. see what people think. Yeah. But you can get all of these titles at our website, perksofbeingabooklover.com, and check us out on Instagram, Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod, and on Facebook, Perks of Being a Book Lover. And y'all, if you like our show, tell some other people about it or go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave a review that helps other people to find us. And we want to give a shout out to Forward Radio 106.5 FM here in Louisville, a grassroots community radio station. You can find our show there live or in archives at forwardradio.org. See y'all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.